On this episode, Kelsey ruins my life with the poetry of Sarah Kay. And there's no jokes in this intro, because we're talking about poetry. Poetry can be funny, though. We're just not funny about it. Poetry is serious. Not always. You just said poetry was serious before we started recording. I was making a joke! Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And this time we're talking about poetry. Talking about poetry. A subject about which I know very little, but I trust you, Kelsey. I know some stuff. To lead, well, okay, well, I, I retract what I said. I no, I still trust you. I trust you to lead me through this. I would not say I'm an expert, but I do enjoy it. So who are we talking about, Kelsey? We're talking um, about. We're not talking about. We're not going to tackle the entire subject of poetry in no, one episode. That'd we're be not a bit even much. Really going to talk about traditional poetry. Okay. We're going to talk about the spoken word poet and and written poet, but mostly spoken word poet, Sarah Kay. Sarah Kay is a poet known for her spoken word work. She's the founder and co-director of Project Voice, which is a nonprofit that teaches poetry. It means to like empower people inspire them and get them into writing she's published three books with a fourth due out in march her work has been featured on clothing at uniqlo and in the netflix show 13 reasons why which i don't feel good about that show but i assume that's a very like cool accomplishment for a poet <laughs> uh, she started performing at the bowery poetry club at the age of 14 and just basically hasn't stopped since um and she was featured on the sixth season of deaf poetry um and as Per usual, I assigned Jason some poems, some videos of Sarah performing poems to watch. Um, there are six of them, spanning ten-ish years. A lot of there's a lot of different performances of some of her poems, so I don't always know when they were first performed. The first one was Hands, which is the what she did on on Deaf Poetry. The second one was B, which was featured in her TED Talk, and that version of it made its way around um which is in 2011 but i think it was first first performed in about 2008 um, you might know that poem under the title if i have a daughter if i should have a daughter if i should have a daughter but it's yeah. it's technically called b yes. <laughs> um a lot of the youtube videos that are floating around are under yeah. that title though the third was private parts from about 2009 um the fourth is an origin story with phil k another poet from 2012 and then the type a little bit after that and then more recently from this uh, past year 2017 table games just to sort of span her whole career and stuff generally first i want to i want to kind of talk about poetry as a whole because i feel like it's a topic that people feel kind of like they feel like it's kind of inaccessible and it's kind of like art like you know fine art in a way like it's you have to be a certain level of cultured to appreciate poetry and you have to have a certain level of education, but I don't think that's true. And I think 
for me, that's kind of what spoken word did for me, kind of like broke down poetry into something that you didn't, you didn't have to know how to do it to appreciate it. You didn't have to know how to read it or watch it. There wasn't extra stuff. <laughs> um, and I also feel the same way about art. But I wanted to kind of get your poetry background and how you feel about poetry, because I know some people don't. It's just something they can't, they don't get, like abstract art. <laughs> It's a thing I did not get for a long time. I basically, I'm a big old dum-dum. I basically never read poetry by my own choosing. Occasionally one will sort of drift into my point of view on Twitter, and I'll take time to read it. And I also, for a long time, my only like con continuous exposure to poetry was through the New York Times Magazine. Because they have a feature where once you know, every issue they print a contemporary poem with some analysis around it. Which is, once I actually started thinking about that, that's a pretty cool thing. Like, that's kind of, I mean, the New York Times Magazine is not like a, you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty specialized uh, group of people reading that. Yeah. So it's not like they're putting it out to the masses, but they are distributing it in a way that some other people, like me and myself who don't read poetry, get some exposure to it, which is good. I never seek out poetry on my own. I see this as a, as a personal failing of, of moral character. I'm not happy about it. But it's the way I am. The only real, like, significant experience of poetry in my life up to this point is one that I think uh, you, Kelsey, and many of our listeners probably share with me, which is the works of Shel Silverstein. Yep. Particularly his uh, three, I would say, his three major canonical collections. Yeah. Where the sidewalk ends, a light in the attic, and falling up. Because mm -hmm. I, uh, I don't go in for that given tree shit. Too sad. Too sad. Too sad. Missing piece is okay. I don't fuck with the giving tree. <laughs> um, yeah, I like where the sidewalk ends was definitely formative, I think. Um, I think it's like it's actually really important because, you know, combined with stuff like the giving tree and some of the stuff in in those collections, like shows like what poetry can be as far as like what it can make you feel because it can be really funny but it can also be very sad um and I think that's like a great thing to expose a kid to and I think Shel Silverstein doing that and writing that kind of poetry was really admirable and really like interesting and I didn't even think about it and I think you know having been exposed to that when I was really young probably made me more ready to enjoy poetry when I was older yeah, that's a good point. Also, I didn't realize until pretty recently, and then you reminded me of it when we were writing our notes for this episode, that Michelle Silverstein's poetry is a is a is a widely experienced thing among I don't know of like of you know people of all ages, but definitely of like our age group, a lot of people. Yeah, I, have I, this as part of their childhood as well. I, I feel like it was pretty ubiquitous amongst my friends. I don't necessarily know why, but I know I feel like I had an assignment once in like maybe like fourth or fifth grade and we had to like bring in a poem or something and a lot of people pick Shel Silverstein poems because um, they're great and like like The Giving Tree no one hasn't read The Giving like no everyone's read That's The Giving true. Tree that like That's I true. know and I'm not going to say it's totally ubiquitous experience but I think it's definitely like a cultural touchstone um, you're absolutely right I think the thing is I took more from it because you're right it's, it's a good it's a good that that's out there for kids to enjoy and have sort of an, mm -hmm. uh, an entryway into poetry and what it can do and mm -hmm. like the different forms it can take. Yeah. Although, you know, structurally his poems are all pretty similar or like they're all of the same sort of type. Yeah. There's not any, any 
I don't even want to start trying to name classifications of poetry, but there's no sort of free verse in his work. Yeah. And what I took from it more was the particular worldview and the sense of humor, mm-hmm. which is for a thing that is so ubiquitous, strikes me as pretty dark. Yeah. Oh, no. Although I often, we often as a culture, and I do this too as well, sort of underrate how dark, like truly good children's art is. Yeah. Pretty much every memorable piece of the art produced for children that is still beloved today is usually got a good bit of darkness to it and the things that are produced that try to avoid that stuff is usually forgotten and like just... what like where the wild things are and stuff like that i feel like that's pretty dark did you have something else in mind besides chill silver no, i'm just thinking about most like most <laughs> children's movies if yeah. i go back like and think of uh, you know most movies from maybe not the disney disney renaissance because those are all pretty mm-hmm. nice and clean but i don't just uh for some reason the one thing i keep thinking of is toy story I mean, toy- which is I not like they, like not- terribly dark because the people there's no a human is never put in mortal danger. But there's like an underlying like cynicism kind of. I don't know if that's the right word, but no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, or animated films that fall outside of the Disney world, like mm-hmm. The Secret of Nim. Yeah. Or again, I'm having trouble coming up with examples, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean. I think I know what you mean. Yeah. And this is a little bit off track, I think. But I mean, I think it's a good. It, you make a good point that yeah. That Shel Silverstein sort of adapting this sort of weird and twisted thing that a lot of kids will respond to into and putting that into poetry mm-hmm. is a is a good way to expose kids expose to poetry. Kids to poetry. And I hope it um, was more effective for some people than it was for me. Yeah, clearly it didn't totally take. I definitely had that same assignment, by the way, in uh, elementary or middle or middle school. <laughs> yeah, and I think it was just me and one other person who brought in a Shel Silverstein poem. Yeah. So I took that more as like, oh, this th- that kid's weird too. That kid's weird too. Not, I mean, maybe I'm conflating it, but I feel like, I feel like it was a lot of people. I definitely for a long time thought it was just a me thing. Yeah. Which is r- ridiculous. Of I course. mean, maybe maybe this is the thing where I'm like, I just assume it's everyone, and maybe it's just us. Maybe it's just the same moment. Listeners, sound off in the comments. <laughs> Shell Silverstein, yes, no. Not that Given Tree shit. <laughs> Don't fuck with the giving tree. Don't fuck with that giving tree. Um, I think for me, I was exposed to a good amount of poetry in high school. Like it, I had a lot of different types of poetry and middle school even. Like we did poetry units in, I think, sixth grade where we had to write poetry in English class. And so that was interesting. And and I read a lot of it. I didn't really appreciate it until like 12th grade when we did a unit on T.S. Eliot, who I was going to do for this this particular episode, but I changed my mind Um, because I like T.S. Eliot a lot because I like how he uses diction and word choice. And I just find his sort of rhythm really interesting because my actual favorite thing that he's done is actually Murder in the Cathedral, which I think kind of was one of those things that taught me poetry didn't necessarily have to be poems. That's his that's his verse play, right? Yeah. And I think I think things in verse are very interesting. Plays like sort of like epic poetry and stuff like that. I don't know. I think I was luckily exposed to a lot of different types of poetry and um growing up and I think when I got to college that w- I was in a good place to meet spoken word, which is what happened. <laughs> um there was an event my uh sophomore year I think maybe my freshman year but I think it was my sophomore year where like a spoken word poet came and performed and I had never really heard anything like that before but I was so like not like moved by it but so like enthralled by it and like just wanted I just immediately loved it and I feel so bad because I don't remember that poet's name at all (gasps) I think it was just like everything that I loved about written poetry 
was there, but it also like made sense of the things I didn't understand about written poetry. That said, I kind of want to know what your feelings are about spoken word, because I know we might differ here. <laughs> um, because I think spoken word for me really helped me like understand poetry more and understand like what it could mean. But yeah, have you have you ever seen spoken word poetry? Have you ever? I'm gonna say no. <laughs> I'm gonna say I maybe have never seen spoken word poetry performed live, yeah. uh, except maybe as part of a larger, you know, talent competition or program. Yeah, I certainly have never voluntarily gone to a poetry event, and I. Yeah, I'm not sure I've heard someone read their poetry as part of an assignment of like a speaker I had to go see in college. But I've never had that sort of experience with poetry where it seems like it was sort of a, it hit you emotionally in a way that you weren't expecting. Is that right? Or maybe not expecting, but you hadn't really experienced before with poetry. Yeah. Because that can, that can be a pivotal moment for enjoyment of any art form. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of weird because it's like, you don't remember the first time you saw a movie or a TV show, but like because I was exposed to that particular art form so much later in my life, I feel like it's like got this really it's experiencing a new art is a really weird thing because art is something I feel like we just grow up with. <laughs> um, so like that for me, it just it just hit me in a really interesting way, and um, I wasn't expecting it, like you said, you said, and I think it just it's still like it's not something I like, you know, I don't go to see poetry shows regularly but it's something that when i like Ugh, imagine if you did come across Oof. it it like i still like really really appreciate it you know what it's funny you mentioned that because i do remember the first time i saw a movie really no but i remember <laughs> what i'm sort of like using as a as a reference point for my myself is i remember the first time i saw a movie and had an emotional reaction to it and was like this can this is an art form when the movie ended i literally was sitting next to my friends I'm using the term friends loosely because this is um, middle school. <laughs> the lights came up and someone said something like, that was an okay movie. And I said, it wasn't just a movie. It was art. Or Jason, I have to ask. <laughs> what movie was it? It was the Count of Monte Cristo <laughs> starring Jim Caviezel. Okay. And I want to say Jeremy Irons. I think he's in that. I think he's in that. that yeah. It sounds like he should be in that. Yeah, I'm just worried I might be confusing Jeremy Irons with the fact that around that same time there was another ad adaptation of an Alexander Dumas story, The Man in the Iron Mask. Oh, but that has iron in it. Yes, that's what I'm worried Wasn't Leonardo confusing. DiCaprio in that yes, one? Yes, he was the titular man. <laughs> anyway. But, no, I saw The Man, I saw The Count of Monte Cristo, which is, I'm sure, not a good movie. But it was the first time I saw a revenge film oh. that sort of played on those tropes and delivered like a real catharsis in that way mm -hmm. i'd never seen that done in the movie before because i was like 11 or 12 mm -hmm. and so it wasn't like i it wasn't like you know my first time seeing a movie but in the same way this wasn't your first time like experiencing poetry no like i'm certainly you you would like you would maybe it's just in class someone you had to read out a poem as part of an assignment mm -hmm. like that it the one you mentioned earlier yeah i think someone you know po poems are read poems are never performed Ooh. So it's, it's not it's not like a one to one comparison, but but no, yeah, I understand I the idea of when you see what an art form can be, mm -hmm. that can be uh, a powerful thing, and that can change your view of it forever. Mm -hmm. And and I've never had that with poetry. <laughs> and I think at this point, I probably never will. I think you're probably, <laughs> I think you're probably uh, right. It's probably too late to have that revelatory experience. I mean, I think you you were saying while you were watching these, you had 
a sort of like I don't want to say visceral reaction. That's fair to say. I got nervous immediately <laughs> as soon as I pressed play on the first poem you sent me. Yeah. I was imme- I tensed up because, and I'm trying to. I tried to break down why that was, and then, then bear with me. We're gonna take a short trip into my psyche. Sounds good. Let's go. Let's strap in. Let's do this. I think part of it is is just is not understanding the form mm-hmm. first of all, because like I don't know. Poetry is obviously a pretty intense discipline with a lot of. And you don't have to know all those rules and and the tropes. Mm-hmm. Maybe tropes is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know how a poem is made to appreciate and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But going in as as sort of uh, ignorant as I am, and not knowing the way poems are built or structured makes it hard to predict what's going to happen next. So I had I had this sort of awful feeling, and this is based on maybe like the very few poems I've seen being passed around online of like live performances of spoken word poetry. Mm-hmm. I, I was just so nervous that we were going to take a, a, a turn at any second into some awful childhood trauma or some just really dark subject of like personal loss. Yeah. And it was going to go from like, I think that something about that is just in the delivery of spoken word poetry, which is very dramatic. Yeah, and I think a lot of um, a lot of spoken word can, and a lot of spoken word that gets passed around online that goes viral or whatever is like intense, and a lot of spoken word is angry, and and I understand why those things because because the ones that do delve into like personal trauma or like big world issues are the ones that go viral. And I think those are things that need to be said, but they're not necessarily the poetry that I connect with, which is why I gave you Sarah's poetry. You kind of draw an interesting parallel between spoken word poetry and stand-up comedy because you you said that that's something you like mm, yeah. do in, enjoy. In my notes, I mentioned that yeah. I what something came to mind was that I'm obviously a big fan of stand-up comedy. Well, maybe not obviously. Maybe the listeners don't know that. Hi, I'm Jason. <laughs> I love stand-up comedy. And... Uh, but and I understand that form though. Mm-hmm. But it's more than that. It's I think it's something about the delivery, because when you break it down, what they are, stand-up comedy and poetry are not totally dissimilar. They're both they're pre-written things that are performed on a stage by one person to Most an audience. Of the time. Yeah, yeah. And aside from that, they're they're radically different. Even though if you just if you just were looking at a performance of the two, there's there's some people on both on both ends of that spectrum where you might not know right away which was which and i a you lot... know there's probably people that do a combination yeah that's weird to me <laughs> i can't like honestly it seems dumb but i can't quite imagine what that would look like and i think part of it has to do with the uh, uh going back to what you we were saying about those the, the very intense poems get passed around yeah they're very raw and visceral and because mm-hmm. Spoken word poetry is the thing that uh, allows for a lot of emotion. They can be intense in a way that, like, stand-up comedy isn't. And part of that is because the goal of stand-up comedy is is primarily always, not all the, not 100% of the time, uh, you know, you can go back to our, our Bo Burnham episode for that, but it's primarily to make you laugh. And poetry is a wider range of emotions. So that might be part of what I'm reacting against is that I'm, I'm used to seeing like this particular like i see someone on stage in front of a microphone and my and my my i shift into like they're gonna try to make me laugh mode which is not the mode you should be in when watching poetry and another thing I'm, I'm i'm worried this is like the major thing is that stand-up poetry is so sincere it's very honest and i'm and i'm worried that even now 
in my, I don't know, going on fourth year of full-time irony rehabilitation, <laughs> I still have a sort of intense allergy to like open sincerity because stand-up comedy is, and I don't want to get too much into stand-up comedy right now because this is ostensibly an episode about poetry, Yeah. but sincerity is not really... I think most of the comics I enjoy are not sincerity is not their their hallmark. Mm-hmm. Honesty and sincerity, I think, are two separate things. And I, 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 like I definitely agree with you there. Art that is honest, I'm I'm very, you know, I'm good with that. But sincerity is a it's a much difficult. It's it's harder to look at sometimes. And I uh, I probably challenged you a lot with this particular assignment because I think Sarah is a very sincere poet, and I that's one of the things I I like about her. But I I found her kind of through a sort of YouTube Facebook wormhole. Like someone posted a poem by Taylor Molly, who's an an older poet who's been around in New York City for a long time about teachers. It's not a poem that I love to death, but it got me into one of those YouTube video to YouTube video. And eventually I found Sarah and I just really, really connected with her poetry and probably a lot of because she's almost she's our age she's you know talking about stuff that is I think simple and you know things I understand and can connect to in a way that like a lot of spoken word poetry that I had seen previous to that was about big things and I think there's something so wonderful about how you know a lot of these poems are just really simple and they're about feelings that you've had even if you haven't had them in the exact same way that she has and I, I just really connected with her and what she was doing. And I think um, her her style is really interesting, too, because she her, her poetry is really narrative and it's a lot more sort of prose-ish. There's not, there is rhyming sometime, but it's not the main part of her, her thing. She's not a poet that's also a rapper. She doesn't use that much internal rhyme. She's telling stories and it's more about, you know, beat and meter and, and stuff than it is about what we would call like rhyme scheme and I think that's that's a thing that a lot of people who don't like poetry have trouble getting when things don't rhyme (laughs) um that that was a hurdle for me for a long time yeah and I've come to appreciate and listener perhaps you are like me and and you are resistant to poetry that, that does not rhyme and maybe you are like me um or were at least in your younger days just smart enough to come up with a compelling reason to disregard an art form you didn't like. So if you are like me, let let me give you a little tip for all the me's out there. (laughs) One thing I've come to appreciate about poetry is the way it can, it can um, take an image or like a single moment Mm -hmm. and, and, and sort of hold that up and examine that in a lot of ways or explore it or do a lot of things with it and just leave that, hard for me to explain this and sort of have that exist by itself and that's coming from me because i read and write mostly like long form prose style narrative stuff and her her sarah Kay's poetry in particular has narrative to it but poetry is allowed to it's a form where you can explore just single moments in a way that like they are full of meaning in real life without having to necessarily slot it into a larger narrative I, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that's one of the things I love about poetry. Um, I got a poem published in our, like, <gasps> high school lit mag. Ooh, um, hey. Not that that was hard. <laughs> but, like, I think 
when, you know, we were doing poetry units at school, that was always something that I really enjoyed about poetry is this, is, you know, taking the single moment, the single thought and elevating it. Um, I think the, the final poem that I gave you table games does a really good job of that because it's a bigger story, but it feels like just this one conversation at a whole foods table. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, can we just double back real quick? What's the, um, what was the name of your, your high school, uh, poetry magazine? I'm pretty sure it's not online anywhere. I, I mean, I wasn't going to try to find it or anything. I just wanted to know. It was called WordWorks, I think. WordWorks said, hold on. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, yep. it's definitely not online anywhere. <laughs> well, I'm glad you checked that because I definitely wasn't going to try to find it and <laughs> read it here on the podcast. I'm not ashamed of that poem. If I could find it, I'd let you read it. No idea where it is. <laughs> um, I want to read it. <laughs> okay. Um, if you can find it, I will read for you a poem I found when I was at my parents' house recently digging through a bunch of stuff. That you my, wrote? That I wrote in, I'm going to say, oh, maybe second grade, third grade. <laughs> Mine's from like eighth or ninth grade. Well, see, I did I did, a, I did a project in I think either fifth or sixth grade where we had to write and like put together basically an entire book of different poems and different styles. I don't know. I where, feel I, like I did that too. I don't know where that is. The poem I found is up is called an ode to video games. Nice. I wrote about how much I love video games. Honestly, it could be worse. Okay. It's a it's a the meter is the meter is pretty advanced for. For how old I was, Mine I think. Was a, like, Advance is the wrong word. It's fine. Sort it's... of short poem about moment in the woods at camp. Ooh. Um, if I recall correctly. Anyway, Sarah sure, Kay. I'm sure it was great. <laughs> not, not our amateur poetry. Professional poetry. We should do an episode about the poetry of Kelsey G. Ooh. Instead of Sarah Kay. Uh. What are we talking about? We're talking about poetry. We're talking about Sarah Kay's poetry and why I like it. And then I like that it's it's little <laughs> in a weird way to say like it's it's I mean, it isn't always little, but it's like it it's moments. It's taking one thing, you know, there doesn't have to be a plot to a poem. And the, her subject matter is I, I think this is essentially what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Very relatable. Yeah. The things she discusses are pretty yeah, I don't want to assume what anyone's life is like, but it's things like family relationships, love, mm-hmm. being a person, having a body, mm-hmm. and being young, and trying to figure yourself out. It's it's like it's like it's universal subject matter, mm-hmm. and obviously poetry and art in general uh, thrives on specificity, and there's plenty of that. But it's it's can't get what I'm saying. Yeah, it's it sort of achieves that thing that great art does that is so specific and and set inside a, a current like identifiable moment that it becomes universal if that's i'm doing a very poor job of explaining no it. i think that's pretty, really good i think that was pretty cogent art. actually oh thank you <laughs> surprisingly cogent the jason edwards story <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i think this is the part where i ask you about what what I asked you to watch yes. and how you felt about it. Okay. Just run down for my own benefit. I watched Hands. I watched B, mm-hmm. Private Parts, An Origin Story, The Type, and Table Games. Just running through. Uh, can I jump to Origin Story real quick? Yeah. The one she did with Philip K? Yeah. Or Phil K? Yeah. I didn't know people were out here doing features on poems. <laughs> 
They have a couple poems together. I didn't know you could do poems like that. Yeah. Like, hey, hop on this poem and make it hot. <laughs> I'm trying to get a number one single. <laughs> T-Pain, get on this poem with me. I'm trying to go platinum. I mean, like, yeah, just have a, I mean, if you look at it, Watch the Throne is just, you know, that kind of collaboration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this poem is just the Watch the Throne of the spoken world world. That's that's given that's that's <laughs> a bit too favorable for for Phil and Sarah. They're fine. They're no Kanye and JC. Uh okay. Fine. I don't agree with you. But I, I was in a different world. Different world. Sarah K didn't have didn't get five mics in source. <laughs> you kidding me? Sarah Sarah K didn't revolutionize hip hop music forever. I would argue Phil, Phil K didn't lose ninety two bricks and get them all back from the first to the fifth. Got them all back, Kelsey. I would argue that Sarah K has done a lot of a lot of good for the the form of spoken word. Um, Where's her clothing line then, huh? <laughs> anyway, huh? Anyway, is that all you Sa- wanted to say? Sa- about Sarah that? K didn't have a fashion show, huh? <laughs> uh, that's basically all I wanted to say. Also, <laughs> also my one note I had for an origin story is. Hey, these two should start a podcast. This is my favorite poem. Why do you like it so much? I just feel like, and the thing is like, I like it more now because I know you. And I feel like I understand this kind of friendship better. Oh, that's that's so nice. (laughs) Like, I just think it's a really lovely picture of a kind of friendship that like, I don't know how to explain to some people. And they explain it really well. And like, this sort of strange coincidence of people being raised in a similar way and almost feeling like they were meant to be friends. I really like it. It makes me really happy. Well, that's very nice. You had so many nice things to say about it, and I had nothing but mean things to say about <laughs> it's it. It's just same, the poem. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I will say, I will say it's kind of weird that, because this, the, the, this poem is sort of framed as a story of how they met mm-hmm. and why they're such good friends and what mm-hmm. that means to them. I will say there's a lot in there about how they are not dating, have never dated, and never will date. Mm-hmm. And whenever two people get up and make such a big deal out of out of that, <laughs> one can't help but think that there's something else going on there. I feel like I believe them, though. I'm not saying I don't believe them. I'm just saying... I when you they probably just get asked that a lot. When you protest that so loudly, <laughs> it raises more questions than it answers. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, but yeah, so what did, what? Did I, I really, I enjoyed that one. I enjoy it now more. These okay. are the, the, that nice thing. <laughs> I think probably table games is my favorite, which is odd because it's, so it's a, it's a, it's very sad. <laughs> um, and, and B is, is, is odd because I sort of was put off by it at first. There's a lot of, cause the first half of the poem is like sort of an extended pun yeah. riff. Or it's actually, it's more than the first half, really. But it's, and it sort of feels, and so it struck me as a little bit self-satisfied in a way, I guess. But the way it resolves and the way it comes back around to being about what it is about, which is a very, like, sad but also humorous way of processing a a heartbreaking situation, uh, was very, very affecting. And that sort of is, as we were saying, is having a poem that, or in this case, a poem. In any other case, or any other piece of art that affects you emotionally, is a big is a big deal. I should mention that you also loaned me Sarah Kay's first collection, and there are a lot of poems in here. And I'm going to try to flip through real quick and see if I can find one. But a lot of the poems that are collected in 
this book I enjoyed more than the ones you sent me. And some of that may be my sort of inherent discomfort with seeing poetry performed live, which I would hope is a thing I can get over at some point. But as it stands now, I'm a lot more comfortable reading poetry than than seeing it performed. And even some of her work that I that I saw because a lot of you know all, basically all but the last poem that you sent me mm-hmm. to watch is collected in this collection. Mm-hmm. And there's one I think it's B where she um, quotes that song "There'll Be Days Like This," my mama said or whatever, yeah. and she sings that part of it in the performance. Yeah, and it's so. This is again reflects more on me than than Sarah Kay, who is a you know very talented poet. But when she's <laughs> when she's when she gets that part, she sings it in the performance. It bothered you? Yeah, I wanted to crawl out of my skin. <laughs> it's it's and she sings it fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's so nakedly emotional. And, and it made you uncomfortable. Sincere. And it, it made, made you feel so something. <laughs> it made me want to leave this earth. I think you have a problem with sincerity. I, I, have, a, I have a few problems. <laughs> but, but, but when I read that, I read that poem in this book, in the written form, mm-hmm. and I, it, uh, I was able to focus on the language a lot more. Mm-hmm. And that's really the issue with spoken word performance for me, is that I have trouble focusing on the language, which is, again, troublesome because that's part of the art form, is the way it's delivered. But I just get distracted by again personal failings of character. It's all it's all on me, guys. Oh, this one comes pretty early on. The first poem in the imaginary book, which is a poem. I'm not going to read it or anything, but it's a poem entirely about the idea of imagining if if it's sort of she's putting herself in in the shoes of someone who she had a relationship with, who is in her mind like picking up her first poetry collection and thumbing through it, looking for like anything that might be referenced to them, which I think is a super interesting concept, super interesting concept, very relatable. It is not a thing that's happened to me. Although since we live in an age of blogging when pretty much everyone we've ever known or potentially dated (laughs) is in a way a published writer, it's a much more, it's it's relatable even to me. Yeah. Who who, who has dated (laughs) no famous poets. Who's who's subtweeting you. (laughs) Who's subtweeting me. Why did you write that? Live journal entry about me. I know it's about me. I knew it. But this this is this this uh, is poem is not about that sort of crazy bitter paranoia. It's a much more touching and humane way of examining that concept. And so I really that was the first thing I read, and that's like four or five pages in. And it really jumped out at me. It's like a thing I really related to and enjoyed. Also, this is probably the first time I've ever uh, read through an entire book of poetry <laughs> by one artist. So. Good job to me, Good Jason to Edwards. I'm very proud of you. I'm growing as a person. By the end of this podcast, I'm going to be massive <laughs> as a person. I don't know if you want to break them down individually, but what led you to pick these six poems as your selection for um, me? I picked Hands because it's uh, sort of her first thing that is super public because it was when she was featured on Deaf Poetry. The other ones... B and private parts and the type I picked because they were pretty widely circulated on the internet and I feel like um, picked up some steam like not virality necessarily but were about things that you know people were talking about and, and were relatable to a lot of people and I feel like they come up more like when I'm going through like a, a YouTube hole of, of poetry an origin story I picked because I love it um, and then table games, I watched a bunch of her performances 
from last year because I won't I hadn't really um watched that much of her new newer stuff recently so I watched a bunch of her newer stuff and picked what I thought I liked best and they're all kind of sad because she got out of a long-time relationship recently and um a lot of them are about that but um they're so well done and and so um affecting it's it's nice to see like I'm sad for her obviously (laughs) but it's nice to see that digested in her poetry Um, you you might say that Sarah Kay is now entering her 808s and heartbreak period perhaps perhaps maybe Mm. I like it good, (laughs) good point Jason um she has another poem with Phil Kay that I almost gave you because I like them together a lot um, called When Love Arrives. Recommend that if you want to see them together. When again. Love Arrives. I also recommend him. I like him a lot as a poet and he's different. Like he has a, a different style. It does a lot more with rhyme. Okay. Now I have, an, I have a question, Kelsey. Sure. And this is a, this is a tough one. Sure. But we've gotten to this point in the podcast and we need to address it. My question is, how are we going to turn this into a pitch for a Netflix original series. No, Netflix just has to pick up... Well, Russell Simmons wants to reboot Deaf Poetry. Oh, yeah. And then this is real. This, this, is, is, this real. is real. This is real. And he wants Chance the Rapper to he host it. He wants Chance correct? the Rapper to host it. Man, I would. you could not get me to watch that fast enough. Right? That was a weird way to say that. I want to see that. I want <laughs> to see that show. I want to see that. I want to see it, too. In a way, I didn't realize this, but you, since you pointed it out, technically... Sarah Kay has already been on a Netflix original show. She has. Because <laughs> she, and I, uh, apparently, and you mentioned this at the top of the show a little mm-hmm. bit, but uh, one of, there's a character in 13 Reasons Why, I think it's the dead girl, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote a poem, and they just got Sarah Kay to write that poem for her, because mm. the poem appears in the actual show. Oh. And that's kind of, it's kind of neat. Kind of neat. But also, like, you know, a teenage girl would not be as good of a poet as modern day Sarah Kay is. I mean, Sarah Kay was 17 when she was on Deaf Poetry. That's true. 18, maybe? I don't know. In one in one mm-hmm. sense, I, I appreciate that, they, that the writers sort of, you know, looked outside of themselves and realized yeah, they, they didn't just someone like, else. let's write a poem. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. But it feels kind of weird to me to like get a famous poet just to and, and use their words as the words of your character. She, she was, was weird credited. <laughs> she, was, she was credited. I just nothing. There's nothing untoward about it. It's just weird. It's a weird it's, thing. To it's think weird. About. So I guess what I'm saying is, is there a way to, again, this this character is is dead, but is there a way to spin her off into her own show about this poetry? Like she was on like the spoken word circuit. She's she goes to slams. That's it. Because because <laughs> as we all know, Netflix inexplicably ordered a second season of Thirteen Reasons Why. How? <laughs> and so if i'm if i'm correct and you might need to correct me on this neither of us have watched the show but the the conceit of, of the show is that this dead girl left a mixtape right i mean i think like recorded tapes sorry not, not a mixtape yes <laughs> recorded tapes explaining like why each of these people wronged her wronged her and led her to kill herself yeah but what i'm thinking is season two each episode is about a different poem she wrote okay during her secret life on the poetry circuit like it and this, this, I'm assuming, very annoying main male character is going through and re- and revisiting all these poems now. Okay. So we get a new Sarah K poem every episode. I mean, that might... 
a new Sarah K poem every episode might induce me to watch that show. That, that, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. Although I want to say, at this point, once we get to a second season of this show where this dead character is leaving all these like tapes and clues for people, yeah. it's basically like a TV adaptation of the movie Saw. Is it? That's that's the premise this, of the Saw movie. This movies. feels insensitive. <laughs> She's not real. It's not about a real person. Uh, and And... Look, the, the dead girl from 13 Reasons Why and mm-hmm. Jigsaw from the Saw movies are both the same level of real. Yeah. And they're both dead. I mean, I think if Netflix was going to make a spoken word show, it would be about, like, the rise of it in, like, the late 60s. Oh, like that awful show on Showtime right now, but about spoken word poetry? What's on? Uh, oh, the... I'm dying, I'm dying up, up here. here. That one. I'm dying up here. <laughs> Look, I love stand-up comedy, but we've got too many shows about it. We don't need this many shows about stand-up comedians. So how many shows do we have about stand-up comedians right now? I don't mean right now. I just mean in the course of human history. Okay. There's been, I think, that that profession has been over, over-examined. I don't know. Miss Maisel was great, though. That's true. But that but, was about a lady stand-up comic. See, and that's that's one good one, and there's like several on right now. Yeah. Maybe it's just the two. Whatever. Anyway, poetry. <laughs> poetry. Okay, so I think we've we've got actually two pitches for netflix so netflix hit us up hit us up hit us always up. as always netflix hit us up we, we promise you at least one pitch per episode <laughs> i don't think we got one for last episode what was last episode kanye oh yeah that leads me back to a little piece of trivia i want to drop here yeah the first performance i ever saw from deaf poetry jam was a video of kanye west when he appeared in 2006 and performed the, the lyrics to what would become the song bittersweet so that's a little, little, little trivia, a little connect back yeah, to the last episode. He was on there a couple times, a few times. He was on there at least twice, which I found when I was looking this up. But Two years previous, he'd, he'd, um, he went on to the show and performed the lyrics to All Falls Down, which was one of my songs picked for Kelsey's playlist last episode. Bringing it back around. Bringing it back around. I guess that's about all I have to say about poetry, though. I feel like we hit on a lot of stuff I wanted to hit on. We solved it. You taught me that poetry is good. Poetry is good. And I think... I think there's so many different kinds of poetry, spoken word, written, and then within those two major genres, like, so much. Spoken word poets are all different, and there's things that are, you know, similar about them, but I think you don't have to love Sarah Kay. I mean, clearly you like her writing, um, and I think you have just some personal issues with sincerity in a performance space, (laughs) Um, which we'll get to. You know, you're an irony recovery train. <laughs> Step four. Um, <laughs> but I think there's 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 spoken word out there that will speak to everybody. And I think for me, like when I experienced it for the first time, it just it like something clicked in my brain and was like, this is something that's for me and that I understand and that I've been looking for in the immortal words of Carly Rae Jepsen before you came into my life. I missed you so bad. So, so bad. Mm, talk about a modern day poet. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, I really love Sarah Kay's poetry and I'm happy that you let me share it with you, even if it made you uncomfortable to watch people performing in a sincere manner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it's all about. Discomfort. Discomfort. We only grow through discomfort. <sighs> Sometimes I think that. Can I drop a re- quick recommendation on you? Please. Uh, part of the reason I was so gung-ho for this episode and yeah. like so ready to you know, explore poetry in a way I haven't in a long time mm-hmm. is that I recently uh, uh, started reading the poetry of Dorothy Parker. 
cool. who is a uh, writer and critic and poet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great episode of You Must Remember This about her. She's a fascinating person. And, I, and, I, and for Christmas, I got um, a book of her writings from front of the podcast, Daniel Dockery. Shout out Daniel Dockery. Shout out Daniel Dockery. That's such an interesting gift that I never would have expected Daniel to give. <laughs> anyway, go on. He's, he's, a, he's got, he's a, he contains he's got multitudes. Layers. He's got he layers. He contains multitudes, he's, yes. Yeah. In, in the words of poet Walt Whitman. Poet. In the words of poet Shrek. He's like an onion. He's got layers. He's got layers. <laughs> anyway, Dorothy Parker. And, and no, the poetry, her poetry is just very interesting and sort of resonated with me in an emotional way that I wasn't expecting. So, Kelsey, I'm recommending to you, give, give it a look. See what you like. Will do. Will do. And thus, thus uh, marks the return of our... Recommendations. Our rarely section. seen recommendations section. We only once, recommend things when it's... We only recommend it once in a super blue moon. Super blue blood moon. Super blue blood moon. Super blue eclipse blood moon. The moon's really intense today, guys. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't looked at the window in a little while. Oh, God, there it is. <laughs> oh, no. The super blue blood moon. Special thanks to Dania Bowd and the Weeping Willards for use of their song, Outside in the Rain, from their self-titled album, available now on Bandcamp. Special thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. Please, if you get the chance, rate and review us on iTunes. Please, please. It, it helps. It helps. It like it really does help. The more reviews you have and ratings you have, the higher Apple puts you in the algorithm. The more people can find your stuff. The more things that are related to us, the people can find us. Podcast discovery is really hard, guys. Please rate and review us. <laughs> Or, also, tell, or tell a friend. Tell a friend. Follow or, us on Twitter. Or both. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook. And please listen to Andrew Ninja Warrior, our first spinoff hosted yep. by uh, Sarah Shepard and Andrew Favaloro as they train their they, bodies, minds, and souls with the end goal of uh, Andrew auditioning for American Ninja Warrior. And Sarah doing a pull-up. And Sarah doing one pull-up. Yes. Uh, I believe in you, Sarah. You can do it. I, I really think you can. Andrew, I don't know about. but Andrew, I don't believe in you. <laughs> so you just have to prove me wrong. So rate and review us. Listen to our friends. Um, and follow us on social media. We love you all. Thanks for listening. Happy, Happy super, super blue, blue blood moon. Blue bl- oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me Only I can mention me Only I can mention me Okay, and we're back. Everything is good. Everything's good. Level's looking good. Level's looking good. Do we have a funny thing for the intro? I don't. I never have a funny thing for the intro. What if you said it like like a slam poetry thing? I don't know if I can do that. Welcome to Ruin My Life, a (laughs) podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. My name, no, I can't even do it. <laughs> I can't even do it. It's, it's not built like that. I've learned so much in this past 10 seconds about what it means to be a slam poet. Well, slam poetry and spoken word poetry are not technically the same thing.
poetry. Poe, damn or run. <laughs> oh. Damn, can that boy run from his problems? 99 problems. The resistance is but one. One of many. Force. The force. The way Uncle Sam forced himself upon the American people. Anyway. People. <laughs> uh, people. The peoples. The, the peoples. Was that a movie? The peoples? Peoples? The peoples? Peoples is something. Peoples? Is, I think <laughs> the peoples. peoples. Maybe I'm thinking about Meet the Feebles. That Peter Jackson movie. Peoples. Peoples is the department store in oh, Virginia. <laughs> peoples. Yeah, peoples. Boy, remember when Peter Jackson was an interesting filmmaker? 